hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 22, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Brennan? I am good, thank you. But by the time this episode drops, I'll be in Minnesota. Wow. Having hopefully not made an ass of myself at a wedding. <laughs> so the chances of that are... Not good. Not good. Not good. No. no. Well, I mean, they're better now that I don't drink. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, chances of being an ass. Well, th- that's it. Yeah. <laughs> See, the groom and I have never been in the same room, right? Or zip code. Okay. Come to think of it, I don't. I don't know him at all. Oh, all right. Uh, all I know is he's Swedish. Yeah. And judging from the photos on his social media, very stern looking. Oh, maybe you can talk about IKEA. <laughs> well, <laughs> Volvos. Since I planned, are they? Is Volvo Swedish? Yes. I know. I thought they were German. No. No, oh, there we Exclusively go. Exclusively Swedish. Well, there we are then. Mm-hmm. Or meatballs. You could talk about Swedish meatballs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since I plan to stay Food. sober. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> One of your expert uh, topics. Well, she sent me a message the other day, uh, the bride, to say, what do you guys think, it's a group chat, Yeah. what do you guys think about this type of food versus this type of food? And I'm like, I'm allergic to both those things. So whatever you think sounds nice. She goes, oh, what are you else? I said, don't worry about it. I'm allergic to so many yeah. things. It's yeah. not worth trying to I'll accommodate them. I'll just eat them. the salad. Yeah, exactly. That's Sans it. dressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And no alcohol. No, well, no, there, there, there is booze, thank you. No, 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 but you're not drinking. No, not heavily, no. So, no oh, no. not heavily. I'll, I'll, I'll have. There's a qualifier <laughs> there's a qualifier. there. There's a qualifier. I'll have a drink. I'm, I won't get pulled my pants down on the dance floor drunk. I know that. Yeah, so you understand. Because <laughs> no, the thing is, like in the bad old days. I had gotten a few drinks in me. Right. And then I'd start doing the Swedish chef from the Muppets. Oh, God. <laughs> the wedding, it would have ended with him chasing me around with a knife as I'm going like, bork, 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 bork. <laughs> I'm a little sad that won't happen. I'm not. <laughs> he looks like a runner. <laughs> and you were definitely not. No, no, no. I'm more of a stroller. <laughs> more of a sitting contemplator. Kind of a, a wanderer. Shuffle. Yeah, yeah, shuffler. Yeah, a, a shuffler. Sh- shuffler. You're more of a shuffler. Great. <laughs> Uh, before we get going, I have a complaint. Oh, about the show? No, no, about parking lots. Okay. Look, it, recently it occurred to me I should buy a new carry-on bag because the backpack I used to use more or less now permanently smells of weed. <laughs> I can't imagine why. No, it's a mystery. So, uh, <laughs> maybe we should get Zach, we get Zach Baggins to look into that one for us. <laughs> He's such a top-notch investigator. Oh, I know. And if he doesn't know, he'll just make it it's up. It's like Columbo without the walleye. <laughs> Or the sleuthing ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or anything that makes him remotely interesting. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so you were going to where? So I went to Uptown. Right. Uh, which, for those of you not from Victoria, is this ridiculous outdoor mall that looks like those fake cities the Russians built in the 80s so they could practice <laughs> invasions. That is actually very accurate. Yes. Yeah. So I parked at one end of the place. I did what I had to do. And then realized I needed to get something from a store at the other end of the mall. Right. Now, idiot that I am. I saw the phony sidewalks and thought, oh, I don't need to get back in my car to get to the other end of this mall. This place is meant to look like a town. Towns have sidewalks that let you walk from one place to another. Surely these sidewalks function in the same way. Yeah, no, I don't think that's the case. No, it most certainly (laughs) is not. The sidewalk is for show. You cannot get from one side to the other without running through the parking lot and dodging minivans. Mm -hmm. It's like someone watched the movie Cars and said, I want to live in that world. (laughs) And then they were immediately hired to design a mall. And you will, probably won't get this, but I, I used to joke that Uptown looks like the city of Rapture from the old Bioshock video games. But it's, it's about this this flooded underwater city where the wealthy went to hide from all the stupid and poor people. Gotcha. And then it ends up, you know, a, a hell overrun by mutants. No, as happens. But at least you could walk everywhere. <laughs> and that was at the bottom of the goddamn ocean. But you know, Rapture isn't real, right? I wish it was. <laughs> I'd rather be chased by mutants than try to cross that parking lot again. <laughs> you got to watch out for those minivans driven by angry moms. Those right? Are, yeah. Oh, man. They're looking for And blood. I'm a big target. <laughs> anyway, speaking of moving. Yes, Let's yes. move on to today's topic. Um, this is going to be what TV shows in the 80s called a very special episode. Dun, dun, dun. I love those. 
You'll recall that our Halloween episode was made up of listener stories, and the story we're going to tell today was sent to us actually at the same time, but we wanted to hold it back and present it in its own space for a couple of reasons. One, it is quite lengthy and can't really be cut down without hurting the narrative. And two, it deals with a sensitive topic that we wanted to take time and talk about a bit afterwards. Over the last few years, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not trigger warnings are appropriate. And I mean, I'm of the opinion, actually, this might surprise you. I think they can actually be valuable Mm -hmm. because if you know that media you're about to see or hear is going to have something in it you personally find upsetting, you can get ready for that. Yeah. Like I, I have a real thing with Alzheimer's. I, I like, it's just, uh, if I see something that involves Alzheimer's, I immediately tear up. I don't know why. I don't really know anyone who's ever had it. Right. But, uh, I, I think I've told this story before years ago. But you wouldn't remember. No, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, bad. Yeah. Oh, that is bad. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm leaving that in. You marinate in that. You would, you live in that. That hell you created. I just it's... tell the jokes you tell me to. <laughs> that was not in the script. <laughs> Bastard. Anyway, anyways, yeah, no, I, I saw. I was in Raton, New Mexico, years ago, and I saw a traveling production of Driving Miss Daisy. Right, and uh, I did not realize that it had. Uh, it was about dementia. Yeah, the dementia end occurred she, at the end. Yeah, and uh, thankfully, I was sitting at the back of the theater because I was a wreck. Oh, I was no. a wreck. I got out very quickly once the curtain came up, it oh. went down. Like I'm getting out of here before anyone sees me. So no, I, I think. Um, I think trigger warnings ha- have a use. I mean, yeah. I don't believe they should be used as a way for people to avoid things that upset them or as an excuse to opt out of stuff they don't want to deal with. Right. I mean, cause I guess I think the world's a really wonderful place. But I, I joke a lot, but I really do. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of awful shit in the world. But in its core, I think it's, it's a really wonderful place. And, and however, you know, I think there is a lot of ugly shit. And, yeah. and you need to face that. And I think it helps you appreciate everything else. Yeah. If you have to say, okay, that's this is the garbage that like the 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 substrate of garbage that you get to uh, yeah. if you dig far enough yeah, and I, I I think it's important to kind of face that up so um, I, I consider this a trigger warning the story we'll be telling on this episode deals with child abuse yeah it's it's ugly it's it's unpleasant yeah but ultimately this is a story about a family that came together to save each other. And we really, again, we believe that story deserves to be told. Well, we both, when we read the the initial email, we're both blown away. Like, did you see this? Like, oh yeah, incredible. And and the more uh, depth she gave it, the better it got. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are quite a few instances of ghosts protecting people or warning people of things that are going to happen. However. I honestly have never heard a more compelling or complete story of ghosts not only protecting and warning someone, but taking steps to proactively change a terrible situation. That story starts at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, and that's where we'll pick it up after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this story was sent to us by Lisa just as the Halloween episode was released. We felt Lisa told her story so well that uh, we'll basically be reading it here in its entirety with a little bit of editing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if at any point the narrative sounds clunky, blame us (laughs) Uh, because we combined two of her emails so we can make it one long piece. Yeah. So I'm going to start us off. Let me start by telling you that I love your show. The good-natured banter between the two of you while you're discussing things that are sometimes both horrifying and serious offers a nice balance to your listeners. Brennan is very funny and handsome, which must be hard for Ian as he is creaky and sad, like an old chair that has learned to walk and sigh. Oh my god! (laughs) Jesus! You have lost your reading privileges. Alright, we're gonna be serious now. Before I begin, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Lisa, and I've always been intrigued and fascinated by all things paranormal. True crime and paranormal activity are two of my greatest passions in life, and my story encompasses both of them. The first story is spooky, mysterious, and so fun, I wish I could live it all over again. The second part is chilling, unsettling, and directly involved in why I relocated from Colorado, where I was going to school, back to California, where I grew up. My family and I still speak about these events, but none of us have ever told anyone outside our family or friends. 
I'll do my best to weed out the extraneous things that don't seem too important, but I want to do the story justice. I assure you that it's all true. Part one. In July of 2014, I was living in Colorado with my mom and my stepdad. My husband, three kids, and I lived in their large basement while they occupied the main level. I was working on my double major in criminal justice and biology so that I could work in a forensics lab doing one of those cool, geeky lab jobs made popular by CSI. Uh, my wife, fun fact, my wife used to be a CSI in England. Um, it's not as interesting as it sounds. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. It, she loved doing it, but uh, it was, she froths and foams and rage and, and, and just pure yeah. torment whenever CSI comes on because it, it does it not work. It is not like that. No, unfortunately, no, it is not like that. Anyway, back to work. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, uh, the plan was that my family would live with them until I finished school so that I didn't have the financial burden of paying rent somewhere and I could focus on my education. I was doing well in school and took my studies very seriously. My mom was so proud of me for maintaining a 4.0 GPA that she surprised me with a weekend getaway to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. It was something she and I had always talked about doing because we share a fascination for haunted places, but I never thought we would ever really go there. She pulled out all the stops and bought us tickets for the ghost tour with tour guide and medium, Scary Mary. <laughs> and uh, I dated a Scary Mary once. <laughs> I don't think it was the same one. Probably not. No. Uh, the package she bought us included a room on the fourth floor, which is said to be the most haunted floor of the Stanley. We were beside ourselves with excitement, and we set a few ground rules during the 90-minute drive from Aurora to Estes Park. We agreed that under no circumstances would we prank each other or pretend to see or hear something if we really didn't. We were both looking for an authentic experience and agreed that even if absolutely nothing out of the ordinary happened, it was going to be a lovely getaway we both needed. When we arrived at the hotel, we were both amazed by its grandeur, pristine grounds, and how quiet it was there. The calmness of Estes Park and the hotel grounds was a much-needed change from the busy city, and it was nice to hear the absence of car engines and the roar of too many people. We spent time walking around outside, taking pictures of the hotel, the gardens, and the statues and fountains. I was greatly looking forward to the tour that was to begin at 8 p.m., but I was trying not to rush through and miss living in the moment. The tour finally began, and we joined the other guests and listened to Scary Mary as she gave us some background information about the hotel. We learned that the hotel had some really cool connections to The Shining, as Stephen King had stayed in room 217, and that during his stay, he became inspired to write the book. Also, in 1995, the television remake of The Shining had been filmed there. I would not... Be proud of that. <laughs> Park Hotel. Like, well, like most of Stephen King's TV adaption, adaptations. Oh, man. Well, no. The, but yeah, that's true. The Shining, though, that was a special case. Holy smokes. I didn't see the it's TV one. not good. It's got... Uh, did you ever watch that show Wings? Yeah. Stephen Weber. He played Jack Oh, Torrance. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's not good. No. No. He it, should stick to TV. King has famously said that um, <clears throat> he prefers the television movie to the theatrical film. Right. Uh, but Stephen King knows jack shit about movies. Apparently... Yeah. He's really bad tasting it. Anyways. Continue. Anyway, the hotel was built in 1909 when Freeland Oscar Stanley wanted to build a hotel at 7,777 feet. He came pretty close as the actual elevation is 7,500 feet. Close enough. <laughs> close. Yeah, good enough. I would just tell people it was 7,777 feet. Oh, I would too. Yeah. I would lie my face off. Oh, I would 100%. be in the brochure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He believed in the power of the number seven and was looking for a place of healing as so many people that he and his wife knew were dying of tuberculosis. Doctors of the time recommended that arid conditions were best for people with TB. And once the hotel was built, he invited people who were suffering of this condition to come and stay. The fourth floor became the floor where the nannies and servants of wealthy families stayed. And even though there were sick people who were trying to recuperate, there were also many wealthy families who came to socialize. Mary told us that during the evenings, ladies would play bridge in the spacious music room, while Mary Stanley would play the grand piano for them. The husbands would retreat to the lounge for cigars and brandy, while the nannies looked after the sick children upstairs. Uh, Mary took us to the music room and invited us to take pictures of her legs throughout the tour as two young children, a boy and a girl, liked to play around her legs while she spoke to guests. I snapped many photos of her and her legs throughout the evening, and while I saw absolutely nothing around her with my naked eye, in one photo I do see the images of the children. Next to Mary's lower half, which is dark, I see the bottom half of a little girl's dress and her shoes, which are two bright white spots. I also see a little boy who almost looks like he's trying to hide behind Mary. Mary was a wealth of information about the hotel, the Stanleys, and other fascinating bits of interest, and made the tour fascinating from beginning to end. There are so many things to share, and I could talk about this night for hours, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible. High points of interest that night included learning about Lucy, the little girl who died outside the hotel one snowy night, and how even in her ghostly existence still had a sweet tooth. 
We all held tiny lollipops on our palms and tried to keep them perfectly still, and we watched as Lucy came and pushed one woman's stick down slowly until it was completely horizontal. Lucy was then asked to shut the door, and we watched in amazement as the door shut slowly every time she was asked. Many of us would have been content to sit and play the door game with Lucy for the remainder of the tour, but Mary urged us on. During the tour of the theater, we heard the distinct sound of a grand piano. We all became stone silent while we listened to the song lightly play, even though no one appeared to be at the piano. We toured the underground caves and heard a funny story about how one of the female staff had pranked Zach Baggins when he and his team had investigated the hotel the year before. She had called down through a tunnel from upstairs and tried to make her voice sound childlike. For a moment, he believed he was communicating with the ghost of a child, but then she bragged on Twitter about punking him and was fired the next day. I love this. I love this so much. Oh, man. I just, I'm just imagining that goober just listening to the toilet. <laughs> and as someone just messes with his tiny head. Well, and I also think the only reason she got fired was because she revealed herself. He wouldn't have given two flying. <laughs> no, that's. <laughs> if, if it was fake. He was just <laughs> mad because now there was no way he could pass it off as authentic. <laughs> exactly. He probably knew it was her the whole time. No, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Well, he's got <clears throat> that, that haunted museum. Yeah. And oh, that grates me. You know, it's it's like he's actually doing investigations there. Oh come so, on! So let's get let's just let's be clear about this. He bought a building, yeah. Put a bunch of spooky shit in it, mm-hmm. and now is is charging. I don't know. I shouldn't say I don't know if he's charging for the investigations, but he's charging for entry. Right. But he's doing investigations in this place. That, that's like I told you earlier. That's like that's like going into a haunted house, putting a headlock on the guy pretending to be a vampire, dragging him out to see them to the media, and saying, "Look, I got a vampire." <laughs> Well, it's about as authentic as this show, man. Oh. (laughs) Anyways, continue. Anyway, I didn't find the underground caves creepy at all, but wasn't fond of how tight the walls seemed. Mary began talking about an old groundskeeper named Piet and said that he was in charge of disciplining some of the staff that got out of hand from time to time. This sounded a little odd and people wanted more details, but she said she didn't know much more than that and that's all that had been documented. I took a bunch of pictures down there And this one is by far the most interesting. When I showed Mary, she pointed at the man with the mutton chops in the center and said, you got a picture of Piet. It took me a while to see him because I see an odd demonic looking figure in front of him, a weird man in a hat's profile, and then Piet in the center of all that. Mary took a short break from the tour to get a drink of water and use the facilities, and she encouraged us all to take pictures and look around while she was gone. Much to my surprise, she approached me when she returned and asked if she could have a word with me. She told me she had a message for me and that she was told I was going to school for something in the justice field and that I should persevere even though my life was about to change dramatically. I tried to get more information from her, but she said that was the whole message. I went back and told my mom and we were both astounded by the message. Neither of us had discussed school, family, or anything from back home since we'd arrived at the hotel, so it would have been impossible for someone to overhear us and use that information later. We both puzzled over what the big dramatic change could be that might possibly deter me from finishing school, but neither of us could imagine what that might be. Mary finished the tour and asked who would be staying for the night. Almost everyone in our group raised their hands and said that we were sure to have an interesting night back in our rooms. She briefly talked about a nanny who still occupied the fourth floor and liked to unpack guest suitcases for them. Another nanny liked to tuck guests in at night. And Timmy, a young boy with a sweet tooth, was said to roam the halls looking for candy. Guests often reported finding candy wrappers on the floor of their rooms in the morning. My mom and I smiled at each other and restated our no pranks rule before we went up to our room and settled in for the night. We talked about the tour and about Mary's message for me when we settled into the queen-size bed and watched television in an effort to get tired enough to sleep. Now, I have to admit that even though I had been a fan of the paranormal since a very young age, when I saw my first ghost in my grandma's bedroom, I had a nervous feeling in my stomach and I felt like all my senses were heightened. My dinner had been too rich for me and my stomach was rumbling in complaint. I didn't have any medicine with me and didn't feel like leaving the room in search of some, so I just sipped some ice water and tried to ignore it. I could tell my mom was nervous too, and we searched the channels for something cheerful to watch. The best we could do was an old interview with Dick Cavett and Betty Davis. It must have been close to two in the morning by then, but neither of us could sleep. I should have mentioned before that the hotel did not have air conditioning, and it was mid-July. We had the window open, and every now and then a breeze would blow some of the hot, stale air around. We had a fan blowing on us, but it was almost too warm to relax, which was also a factor in us being so wide awake. We pushed the comforter and sheets down to our feet and laid there watching TV until it suddenly turned off. We were bathed in darkness and both of us fished around for the remote control. I found it and pressed the power button, but the TV wouldn't turn on. I turned on the bedside lamp, went over to the TV, which was mounted on the wall, 
and I pressed the power button. It wasn't responding. And so I was going to unplug it and then plug it back in. But when I reached for the power cord, it was already unplugged. This sends a chill through my legs all the way down to my feet. My hands shook and I cleared my throat and said, the TV was unplugged. Do you think the nanny says it's time for us to sleep? My mom laughed nervously and said, probably. I plugged the TV back in, but we never could get the power to come back on. Falling asleep after that was almost impossible, but I finally managed to drift off. I'd barely fallen asleep when I heard my mom whispering my name. Lisa, Lisa, are you awake? Are you okay? I murmured at her so that hopefully she'd hush and go back to sleep. I didn't want to engage her in conversation and end up waking up all the way again. Lisa, she said again. What? Are you okay? I murmured irritably. Yeah, I'm just good and tucked over here. Help me get out. It dawned on me what she was saying, and I bolted upright and looked down at her. She was tucked in so tight with her arms firmly at her sides and the blanket all the way up to her chin that she couldn't move. She'd been rocking from side to side, trying to dislodge the covers enough to get out, but she was jammed into the covers like a sausage in a casing. I pulled the covers off of her with some effort, and we both got out of the bed and stood there looking down at it. My mother had been trying to quit smoking for a while, but we decided this was a good time to go outside for a cigarette. I felt like I needed to clear my thoughts where I was going to wrap my head around what had just happened. According to my phone, it was 3.05 a.m. We went outside, and she had her cigarette, and with shaky hands, I took pictures of the outside of the hotel. I was looking for excuses to prolong going back inside, but I knew we both needed to sleep. We had a mountain drive ahead of us later that day, and I wanted to be alert for it. My stomach was still nagging me, and it was still horribly warm in the room, but we went back to bed and forced ourselves to sleep. Once again, we pushed the covers all the way down by our feet, and I folded the sheet under me and lay on top of it. We finally went into a deep sleep, and a few hours later, I started stirring when I smelled peppermint next to my face. I heard a woman say in a quiet voice, there, there, this will help. In my state of semi-consciousness, I thought it was housekeeping in the hall getting an early start. I started waking up, though, and realized I couldn't move because I was tucked in so tight. I craned my head so that I could see my mom, and she was also tucked in. She woke up and saw what I was complaining about, and we both started wiggling out of the comforter and sheets that were encasing us so tightly. In the light of day, I can't say we were scared, but we were definitely kind of stunned. We both wondered at how odd it must have looked to see the comforter and sheets being pulled up around us by an unseen force while we slept on oblivious to it. Nowadays, we have a private joke between us, and when one of us annoys the other, we simply say, Tuck you. (laughs) So we packed up our things and got the room ready for checkout. My mom said, I'm not even going to ask if you had candy because I know you didn't. I looked at the three candy wrappers on the floor and laughed. Somewhere in this hotel, some guy's being accused of eating his wife's candy. I hope he knows about Timmy so he can get off the hook. There is plenty more to talk about, but I need to move on to part two, which took place one month later back in Aurora. Part two. One month after our trip to the Stanley Hotel, my mom and my stepdad went to New Mexico to celebrate his 70th birthday. She'd gone to great pains to find a nice hotel, cool points of interest, and other sightseeing events that he would enjoy. School had started for me again, and I had taken on an ambitious 16-unit semester. I was happy to have the upstairs to myself so I could get some valuable study time in during the day. I would bring my books upstairs, turn the TV off, and throw myself into my homework. My husband and kids would stay downstairs doing their own thing while I was upstairs studying. From time to time, my kids would come up to hang out with me or play in the backyard, but I was alone most of the time. Well, not entirely alone, because my mom's large herding dogs and my two chihuahuas were always pretty close to wherever I was. I would talk to my mom on the phone once a day when she called to check on her dogs and see how everything was going back home. We'd both gotten used to the unexplained things that would happen on a daily basis around the house. The smell of lilacs and sometimes brownies that would hang in the air. The sound of footsteps in the hall. So I didn't mention any of that stuff to her when she called. One of the days she was in New Mexico, I had decided to put away the books for a little while and practice a makeup tutorial one of my favorite artists had uploaded to YouTube. I brought my makeup and my mirror upstairs where there was lots of natural light and started following the instructions. Nothing out of the ordinary happened until I noticed that my lipsticks had melted. It wasn't they had just gone soft like they sometimes did when we had extreme weather. It was that my two favorites had liquefied. One moment I was brushing some of it on with a brush, and the next moment when I went to touch it, it had liquefied in the tube and spilled out onto my hand on the table. This happened to two tubes of lipstick, but all of the others were still in their solid state. I was annoyed, but not scared. I cleaned up the mess and threw them in the trash. I finished the tutorial with different colors and lit some candles, and started getting ready to prepare dinner so I could get one more study session in after everyone had eaten. 
Like usual, I put some music on and made a quick dinner for my family. I was going to call them up to come eat in the dining room, but first I wanted to clear my makeup out of there and set the table. All of the candles I'd lit about half an hour before had been blown out. I lit them again and called my family upstairs. I carried the food into the dining room and watched as the flames of two of the candles went out. There were no open windows or fans on at the time, so I knew someone that I couldn't see didn't want them lit for some reason. I shrugged it off the way I shrugged off lots of things that happened like this. Rarely did I ever get scared in that house. Things happened that unnerved me sometimes, like the sound of footsteps running up the hall to where I was sitting in the living room and then creaking the floorboards right behind my chair. I didn't like that, but it didn't really frighten me. I've always known that there are paranormal entities all around us, and that while some of them are mischievous and playful, others can be menacing. I never tried to open the doors wider by playing with Ouija boards or anything like that, but I would speak to them out loud if I felt someone around. I never heard vocal responses back to whatever I said to them, but the feeling in the room would noticeably change at times. Sometimes we'd feel like we were getting overrun, and we would then sage the house and tell things they needed to move on and give us our house back. My mom would often hear furniture being dragged around downstairs while she tried to sleep upstairs, or the sound of me vacuuming well after midnight. One morning, she told me irritably that she wished I would do that stuff during normal hours and not while she was trying to sleep. I was surprised because I never vacuumed in the middle of the night and we definitely weren't moving furniture down there. I, on the other hand, would hear things being dragged around the kitchen, directly over where I slept in the middle of the night. I knew it wasn't them and I would just ignore it. So, getting back to my original point, it would have seemed silly to tell my mom about the lipsticks melting or the candles going out when all that stuff had kind of become the norm. Mm-hmm. One of the days that they were in New Mexico, I suddenly got incredibly tired while studying upstairs. I turned the TV on quietly for some background noise and settled back in my mom's recliner to take a quick nap. Her dog slept on their pillows on the floor beside me and my chihuahua slept on my legs. I was so comfortable and I fell into a deep sleep. I must have been asleep for almost an hour when I heard one of the dogs start to whine. I looked over at my mom's dogs and their ears were up. One of them was whining and the other was growling deep in his throat. My chihuahuas were also on alert and they were staring at the sliding back door that led to the backyard. I sat up and stayed quiet and was about to get up to see if I could see someone out there when I heard something rolling across the wood floor. My head jerked in that direction and I saw that the table that sat next to my stepdad's chair was rolling towards the back door. His recliner was jerking and it looked like someone was tugging at it and trying to get a grip on it. My heart was hammering in my chest and the dogs were getting more agitated. They were all growling low except for one of them who was crying and whining. I felt paralyzed with fear, and I was trying to find my voice so I could yell out to my husband who was downstairs when my stepdad's chair in the dining room, which was just the far corner of the living room, invisible from where I still sat, suddenly jerked and was dragged several inches across the floor and towards the back door. It looked like a paranormal moving company had been hired to move all of his stuff out of the house. And as soon as I had that thought, it suddenly stopped, and the feeling of normality came back to the room. The dogs relaxed, and I sat there trying to get my breathing to regulate. This was the first time I'd ever been scared in that house. I went downstairs and told my husband what had just happened. We both pondered on it for a while, and I made him come upstairs with me when it was time to make dinner. I was happy that they were due home in two days because I was anxious to tell my mom about the strange furniture moving that had happened. I had to admit that I wondered if it really happened, but my husband and I moved the chairs back, and it took both of us to push his recliner back to where it was supposed to be, about eight inches from where it had been moved. That night, I lay in bed and thought what the whole thing was about. I knew it meant something, because someone had expended a bunch of energy to move that stuff. Even though it was August, there was a chill in the air and pulled the blankets over me. I woke up in the middle of the night, alone in my bed. My husband had fallen asleep watching TV in our living room, and I could hear a woman's voice saying, There, there. It's time to go. Leave. My legs were freezing and I reached for the covers, but they were no longer on the bed. I got out of bed and saw that not only were my covers on the floor, the comforter had been folded perfectly in fourths. I could hear the woman's voice in my head still, and I immediately associated her with the nanny back at the Stanley Hotel. When my mom and my stepdad got back home, I let them settle in before I bombarded them with all the strange things that had gone on while they were away. He normally took things in stride, but I could tell he was bothered because he was uncharacteristically quiet. My mom and I talked about it from every angle and tried to figure out what in the world it all meant. Well, one day from the week they got back from New Mexico, my brave, brave daughter, who was 13 at the time, got the courage to tell me that he had been abusing her since we had moved in three years ago. To say I was shocked was the understatement of the year. She talked to me from around 11 p.m. until 4 a.m. the next morning, as once she started talking, she couldn't stop. I told my mom and my shock became hers as we tried to figure out what to do and how to handle it. 
I had enough criminal justice credits by then to understand that the system wasn't exactly on our side and that we had to handle things very carefully. For the next month, the kids weren't allowed upstairs without one of us at their sides, and my husband and I packed our things and tried to be quiet about it. My mom, who's trying to act as normal around him as she could, would say things like, I guess the ghosts are moving furniture around again whenever we'd get a little too loud with our boxes. Finally, one month after my daughter told me, my mom took him on an overnight trip so we could load a moving truck and move out without him seeing us. I won't bore you with details about why we had to do it that way, but our safety was a huge concern. So I had to drop out of school, just like Mary's message had predicted. His furniture being moved towards the back door the same night I was untucked and told to leave all made sense once my daughter told me. If you're wondering what happened next, I'll tell you. We moved back to California and my mom joined us. As soon as she was away from him, my daughter and I reported him. He sold the house in Aurora for a song, gave away his belongings, had his two healthy herding dogs put to sleep, and then fled to Mexico. He continued to post from Facebook from the expat community he moved to, and this made it quite easy for the FBI task force and the U.S. Marshals to find him. He is currently serving time, but never enough time, in Arapaho County Prison. We left that house on September 20th, 2014, before the sun was up, and after I said goodbye to my mom's dogs, I stayed in the house alone for a minute and thought a quiet message of thanks to all the help we'd been given. I remember that my legs began to tingle and my back and arms suddenly got hot. I felt an immense pressure at my back and I felt compelled to hurry up and get out. It wasn't fear that propelled me. It was urgency. My son rode in the U-Haul with my husband while I followed in the family car, carrying my daughters and our dogs. I don't know what the guys were talking about, but my girls and I were trying to keep it light, and we took turns playing CDs of our favorite music. As soon as we crossed the border into Utah from Colorado, we were immediately being pelted by torrential rains. It was so thunderously loud that we couldn't hear the music, and the windshield wipers were on full speed to very little effect. I hadn't even realized that I was sobbing, but my face was suddenly as wet as the world outside when I looked at my daughters. I saw they were crying as hard as I was. I gathered myself together and put a stop on my emotions so I could drive safely, and as soon as we were out of the thick of it, I realized my phone was ringing. My older daughter answered and put the call on speakerphone. It was my husband telling us that he and my son had broken down as well. I know it was nothing paranormal that caused us all to surrender to emotion at the same time, but I'll always think of that moment as the precise moment when we all got washed off and ready to begin our new life. All of our Colorado dust was drowned in the muddy rainwater, and we were ready to begin our new chapter. I told you all the major events, but here are some small things that were occurring regularly immediately after we returned from Estes Park. First off, we started seeing a small shadow running in the hall in the main level of the house. I'd go upstairs some evenings to watch TV with my mom and Fred, and since he and I could see up the hall from where we would sit, we would often see the shadow at the same time. It would run from my mom's and his bedroom into their office across the hall, and then it would run back again. I could only make out the shadowy shape of it, never any facial features, but I felt that it was a male spirit, no older than 13. I was excited by his presence and would abandon TV and go and sit in their office to see if I could feel it or understand it better. I wish I could say that I received a message from him, but I didn't. The only clear message I got from him was that how horribly uncomfortable his presence was making Fred. I affectionately nicknamed the spirit Timmy, not in relation to Timmy the candy lover at the Stanley. He just felt like a Timmy to me, and I would think to him and try to communicate, but I never received any loud and clear messages. In piecing it all together retrospectively, I don't think he had a message for me. I think he was there just to make Fred uncomfortable. When the FBI task force began working on his case in January 2014, my family learned that Fred had been linked to a few cold cases involving dead children in Denver. One of them was a little girl of a woman he was dating before he met my mom. Another was a little boy he used to mentor in an after-school program he was in charge of in the early 90s. The task force agent was a very nice guy who was friends with one of my former criminal justice teachers, and I, I think he'd overshare sometimes. I let most of what I heard go in one ear and out the other because I just wasn't mentally ready to go down a rabbit hole of new information. My sole intent and motivation for getting up every morning was focusing on making sure he was punished for what he did to my daughters. I believe that he hurt other children besides them because he was an opportunist, and if he had access to those other kids, he would have taken it. Now that this is all behind us, I believe that Timmy was running through the hall, leaving his energy to keep Fred in a state of anxiety. Mission accomplished. Mm. Whenever the shadow child would appear, Fred would go outside and smoke a cigarette and get into one of his grumbly moods that made him unappealing to be around. During this time, Fred was also getting poked at in the shower. He would complain to my mom that something was nudging him hard in the back when he would take a shower. He was also getting bashed by the freezer door in the garage. He would go get himself a snack and the freezer door would slam violently on him, smashing either his head or his arm. 
My mom and I would joke about it to him, but he was bothered and didn't think it was very funny. I thought it was weird that he was being targeted, but I wasn't overly concerned. He was the only one in the house who had an aggressive force on him. During this time, I believed he was my friend. He had a master's in criminal justice, was an ex-Marine, had worked as a prison guard, and had a million stories about criminal law. I loved talking to him about all this stuff and was happy that he was helping me choose my classes. He would proofread my papers and was a wealth of information and knowledge. You can imagine my shock when I learned that the one I thought was protecting us was really the monster. Also know that this wasn't a new relationship for my mom. She'd been married to him for 17 years by then, and he'd been a solid fixture in all of our lives. The last paranormal thing that was happening in the house at that time was just a general feeling that we weren't alone. We would all hear footsteps, coughs, furniture moving, cupboard doors opening and closing, weird murmuring sounds from behind closed doors, candles blowing out when no draft was present, and channels changing on their own. We'd always known that someone else was there with us, but it had become so exaggerated that it was beginning to get uncomfortable. As soon as my daughter told me what had been happening to her, the paranormal energy completely stopped. It took us three weeks to pack, find a new place to live, and make all of our moving arrangements. I remember I was so thankful at the time that we had a breather from the otherworldly stuff, as I already had so much to cope with. I'm sorry, gentlemen, this account has become long-winded, but believe it or not, I cut out a few things that seemed extraneous. I believe that by going to the Stanley Hotel in July of 2013, we met a nanny who saw what was happening not just to one of my daughters, but to both of them, and she began a campaign to get us out of that house. If I'm wrong, then I accept that, but I truly believe that we had some help from beyond. I will always be grateful to the paranormal furniture movers for that day. They gave me such a strong message. I still wonder why they had to ruin my lipstick, though. Thank you for listening, Lisa. We're going to take a little break to give you some time to take all that in. We will be right back. Welcome back. When we got that story uh, and I was reading through it, what jumped out at me was her question about why the lipsticks. Right. Um, my theory that I, I uh, sent back to her and that she actually did agree with was that um, the lipsticks really represented sort of um, like an innocence or uh, a womanhood or something that they were both of her favorites. Right. And that they would absolutely get her attention. Right, right, right. And symbolically, they were ruined. They were oh, of course. melted. They were, you know, and, and the harm that had come to the lipsticks kind of thing. Two of them representing her two daughters. daughters. Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's just me. But that's really what jumped out at me right, right off the bat um, was maybe that's what the lipsticks was about. And it certainly got her attention. Yeah, no, true, true enough. That's a fascinating theory. I hadn't even, uh, I hadn't considered that. I'm really grateful she shared that story with us. I'm absolutely blown and, away by it. You know, Lisa, um, I know Ian, uh, Ian emailed you back, uh, mostly because he's better at being a human being than I am. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's, yeah. that's not an easy thing to put out there. And I cannot imagine uh, what you've gone through and what your family's gone through. But I, I know Ian and I talked about this, and something we want to say on air is that we think it's pretty incredible that your mother – listened yes, and did what she did and helped yes. you get out of there because yes. we both know situations where that has not been the case, where the family has refused to believe the person who is being abused Yeah, and uh, it just, yeah, it's nice to know that there are people out there who will believe the ones they love. Even if it means completely destroying their own life. Absolutely. Which, it, I mean, this story couldn't do anything but destroy lives. But the the best part of this story is that these lives are all coming back together and that things are getting better and, and it's a whole new thing. And the other thing is, I hope if anybody out there is listening to this and is having weird experiences or whatever, be open-minded about it. It's not all about scaring you. 
No, that's it. <laughs> and I think some, sometimes the paranormal falls into this, that, that trope where everything is yeah. scary. Yeah. And it's, 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 or it's entertainment. And right. It's, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it, sure, it's scary and it's entertainment and it's a good thing people think that way because otherwise we wouldn't have a friggin' show. Exactly. But at the same time, sometimes you need to listen to this. Yeah. Because it, it's trying to tell you something. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's also really important to say there are people who will believe you. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not easy. No, and um, it's it's it, like th- that's the thing. There's there's no easy way to go about this. It's it's always going to be an uphill fight because th- as we're seeing now, I mean, I was just gonna say in the last six months, that's the it. Stories coming out of Hollywood and and the entertainment industry, people are listening. People are ready to believe. And the other thing I'd like to say too is, if you suspect that abuse is taking place, the onus is on you to say something. And yeah. I know it's easy to say, "Oh, it's not my place. I don't yeah. know." Yeah, but. You know what, if, if it's at the point where you suspect something, then mm-hmm. you owe it to yourself, you owe it to the people in question to bring it up to the authorities. You owe it yeah. up to yourself just to, to place a cult. I know someone who was in a position where they believed their neighbor, uh, where their neighbor's children were, were being abused and they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And their neighbor was eventually arrested for child abuse. Yikes. And when the person in question told me what they had seen, it was conclusive. Yeah. It was absolutely yeah. conclusive. And I, I've i never really looked at them the same way because I don't know how you look past something like that yeah. and get on with your life. Well, and I mean legally and morally. Morally, more than anything. Are, yeah. Morally. I mean legally if a child discloses to you as an adult, you are legally required to report that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but morally. Well, in this case, the child uh, never reported to them. No. But they observed several yeah. things that they knew were consistent oh. with this style of abuse. Good enough. And that's all you need to make the call. That's it. Because the thing is, even if you put the call in, if you're concerned enough to put the call in, then it's worth having someone in authority come by and investigate the situation. Right. And if there's nothing, there's nothing. And I mean, certainly there are, there is a certain stigma that attached to accidental reports or people who are being investigated. Yeah. But I I don't know what to tell you. Better that than these poor kids having to endure this for another day. 100%. 100%. So again, we just wanted to say that we, we think it's, it's great that and your family stuck together and pulled together and really did what they did. And thank you for the story. Incredible. Yeah, th- thank you for, for feeling comfortable enough to share with a couple of yahoos <laughs> doing this. Up in for, Canada. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been doing this for what, nine months now? <laughs> 10 months? So no, it was just, it was so inspiring just to read it. That absolutely. It had to get shared. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, yeah, so th- that is that is Lisa's story. We wanted to share with you, and again, thank her for for sending it to us. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, we want to say it, this is not a story about abuse. This right. is a story about people overcoming bad yeah. shit in their lives. Yeah, with the help of with the, the help of the paranormal. Amazing. It's not all bullshit haunted museums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pointed <laughs> glance. I said good day, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next up, we're going to have a look in the mailbag here. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. So uh, it's been a while since we've done listener mail, of course. Yeah. I mean, episode 20 was nothing but listener mail. Yeah. Uh, but then we didn't have time after the LA episode. So uh, Ruth wrote in to share a dream story. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes... To preempt your question, we will eventually <laughs> do a dream episode. I was going to say, wasn't there something about dreams in an episode? <laughs> one, one. Did I dream that? Yes, ah, that's what it was. Yeah. It was a dream. It was a dream. Inception. <laughs> uh, Wanda, who is a new arrival to Vancouver Island, shared a story with us about her old home on the prairies. Mm-hmm. And we will definitely be sharing that story on an upcoming episode as it's quite lengthy and includes a hat man. Excellent. Uh, we had a bunch of emails from Luke. I Luke, love Luke. Uh, Luke's great. I think I'm just going to say our researcher Luke at this yeah. point. He's, you know, he is so cool. Like, oh, he's he, a good guy. Uh, yeah, he's just a cool guy. Absolutely. So, yeah, our researcher Luke sent in some uh, some more info, and uh, we're sort of figuring out how to organize that to prep for some upcoming shows. Yeah. So, thank you, Luke. Eventually, he's going to point us in the direction of some of his film projects. We can help him promote it. Yes. So we're, we're actually not just taking from him yes, constantly. Exactly. But uh, that's down the road. Yeah. Uh, thanks again to Casey who followed up after our LA episode. She played that for a few of her friends, sent mm-hmm. it around. So Casey, thank you again. Well, and we got some uh, a couple of messages from that LA episode from people who actually lived and worked in the uh, job. E- exactly. Course, yeah, and yeah. That yeah. was cool. They, that was very cool. The follow up was really cool. 
and we weren't sued by the Job Corps. So. No blessings. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, it's only been a week, but <laughs> I, I assure you we're both really broke. So. <laughs> well, and it just sounds like a really cool program. Like, oh, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. For what it does. And you determined it was not court mandated. It is mandated. not court mandated. That was some of the feedback I got. It, you were there because you wanted to be. Um, it just sounds like a really great opportunity if you wanted yeah. to learn a trade or get your life turned around. That was an opportunity you could take. I mean, when I consider how useless I am on a daily basis, I think, man, program like that when I was younger, that could have done me some good. I could have been a plumber. I, I could have I been, been a contender. I could have been a contender <laughs> instead of sitting here with you. <laughs> and we had another email from Alexa who is going to send along some of her uh, uh, sort of Seattle area ghost stories soon. Very cool. She actually sent us a uh, guide because she's a meditation teacher. Yeah. She sent me along uh, a guided meditation, oh, which I, cool. I have not done yet, but I intend to. Nice. Yeah. And to the three people who won T-shirts in the Halloween episode, I haven't forgotten about Psych! you. Psych! No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fools. They were ordered immediately after everyone sent in their emails, or sorry, sent in their addresses. Yeah. Uh, we're just waiting for Threadless. They've been shipped, but they appear to be in some kind of hellish limbo. <laughs> so hopefully soon we will have those and I can turn around and get them out to you. Perfect. Of course, I, I guarantee you they're going to arrive when I leave for Minneapolis. Oh, naturally. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Minneapolis, I forgot to mention that Ashley wrote in to send me a bunch of food recommendations. Oh, that'll make you happy. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. And I think that's going to do it for us here. Um, do, do you have anything coming up you want to promote? Absolutely not. Nice. Uh, maybe some Christmas ghost walks are coming up. We do a little Christmassy route. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Nice. But yeah, no. I got nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, as for me, you can, uh, of course, find my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere fine books are sold. I, of course, also do the, I've started doing the Weekly radio show, Largely the Truth, on Stoke FM. Nice. So every Wednesday at uh, 8 p.m. on 92.5 Stoke FM or via the web at stokefm.com. You can listen to my fantastic radio show in which I bless the airwaves with my <laughs> glorious voice. I'm listening to your radio show like you read my book. <laughs> I really enjoyed your book. I really enjoy your the radio show. Vancouver Island? Is that what it was oh, called? Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, shut up. <laughs> and other than that, yeah, I'm going to be in Minneapolis for the uh, for a little while here. So if anyone from the area wants to meet up, you can f- send me a message. If I can make it work, I will. Apparently, we're staying way the hell off in the sticks, though, so uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, availability is limited. Sounds good. Yes, and uh, when when do you get back? What's the date you get back? I am back. I'm back in Canada on the 29th, uh, but I'm staying in Vancouver two nights to catch a concert. Okay. Um, and then I'm back here on December 1st. What concert? A Perfect Circle. Oh, I was hoping for something like Goat Mouth or something. <laughs> one, of your, one of your creepy metal bands. <laughs> They're, no, these guys aren't really metal. They're more like hard rock. Oh, okay. I, I'm not really that big of a fan of that kind of stuff. It's just like blasphemy happened and I was invited to it. I, I'm not going to go see Goat Horror. Black we, Moon over Ross Bay, wasn't that? Oh, that was the name of the concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Black Moon over Ross Bay. Oh, I saw a guy. It was uh, I forget where I was, but he was standing in front of me, and he was wearing a a, a shirt, and it had a a goat headed man with a knife over a naked woman and a pentagram behind his head, and it was called like Goat Death or something. And I wanted to take a picture of it and send it to you. I'm like, oh look, a new band for you, but, <laughs> but I sadly did not get the chance. Well, I think it's Watain, the band Watain, that has a they come out with like a goat head. Okay. Was it Watain or Mayhem? The, so, I don't think it really matters. No, I guess not. <laughs> Robin from Drunk in a Graveyard was telling me about this. They, nice. They come out and they, they actually have got some of the juice on them or something. As you do. And I think it's one of these guys, they bury their tour clothes after every tour. <laughs> and then when it's time to tour, they go pick them up. And, <laughs> something like that. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I think you mean metal. Yeah, That is okay. the most metal thing you've ever heard. Apparently it's interchangeable. <laughs> well, you, well <laughs> it is actually. Thank you. Thanks, as always, to our composer, Pizzanta Music, for mm. all the great tunes. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. I think we've actually got you know eight ratings on there now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> One of them is me, but that's fine. Eight is a start. Eight is a start. Eight is a start. But please do. Please review us. Yeah, rate and review us. Share us on iTunes. Yeah. Um, I posted something on the Facebook page. You may as well mention it here, too. Some folks I know from Revelstoke are having a bit of a hard time right now. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, the wife was diagnosed with cancer back in April, and it's it's not great. It's stage three, mm. um, and they're you know they're, they're, she she's going through treatment, but the cost of going back and forth to treatment. Yeah, I mean treatment. Thank God here in Canada is free. Yeah, but the cost of going back and forth to the town where where she can get the treatment, uh, it's it's substantial. And so they're doing a little GoFundMe 
to raise some bucks. And I know they've hit their funding goal, but I, I think their funding goal was kind of modest. Right. So, uh, you know, if you can help out, um, I'm going to put a link on our show in the show notes. And if you can contribute to anything, even a dollar is great. And if you do forward your receipt to ghost at gmail.com and I will ship you two ghost story guy stickers. <gasps> nice. Yes. Wow. And I will, uh, thank you on air and I will harass Ian in your name. <laughs> Well, you do that for free anyway. It's true, yeah. <laughs> but say, you know, if, uh, I don't know, Jim sends in $10, well, then I will send you two stickers, and then when Ian leaves his house in the morning, I will moon him <laughs> from the window of a passing car. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm glad I live on a cul-de-sac, because that'll make it harder for you to drive away as I shoot at your tires. <laughs> I'd love that in this scenario you own a gun. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I, can't, I, have access, now. I have access to weapons. <laughs> I have two Google Homes and <laughs> I have guns. <laughs> so yeah, so that, if you can help help out, that would be great. If not, you know, no big deal. But uh, figure if we can uh, we can help some folks out a little bit, no harm done. And uh, I think that's going to do it. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with uh, next episode. Might be a little yeah. bit later, depending on my my schedule. <sighs> Mister uh, Travel Everywhere. Yes, I know. Mm. And until then, into the darkness we go. In, uh, when we were... Well, re- welcome back. Whatever. We have a format, goddammit. <laughs> yes, father. Oh. What was that? Daddy's home. Daddy's home, home too. Yeah. Well, I saw Justice League, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're... Intellectually, yeah, the same much. level. Yeah. Saw it by myself, because no one else wants to go see superheroes with Brent. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, that should be the title of your next book. <laughs> no one wants to see superheroes <laughs> Brandon. Everything you're telling me is just bad. <laughs> Literally everything. All right, are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.